Hello, and welcome to the Girl I Slept in My Makeup podcast by three sisters who live in three different cities, are at three different life stages, and have three different perspectives. They are excited to learn and grow alongside of you. This is a space full of love and acceptance, no judgment, because let's face it, we all sleep in our makeup. Please welcome Lauren, Megan, and Kristen. Have you guys ever thought about starting your own podcast? Just so you know, we use Zencaster to do ours. It is an all-in-one web-based solution, which makes the process super quick and painless, and it really is easy. And if you know us, you know that we are obsessed with quality, and we feel like Zencaster is super easy. And even for our guests that aren't tech-savvy, there's nothing to download. They literally just click on a link, and we start recording. And if you go to Zencaster, dot com backslash pricing, which is Z-E-N-C-A-S-T-R dot com backslash pricing and use our code girl. I slept in my makeup one. You'll get 30% off your first three months of Zencaster professional. We want you to have the same experience that we have had for all of our podcasting and content needs. So it's time to share your story. Hi, listeners. Thank you for being here another week with us. We are so excited for you to join us on this conversation today with Lindsay Ranga. And those of you who have been with us since the beginning, you know that we interviewed Lindsay back in 2019. And for those of you that weren't able to catch that, go back to episode three and check it out. It was on body image. And our interview today with Lindsay, we're going to focus more on parenting when it comes to our relationship with food. And we just appreciate Lindsay so much. Lindsay Ranga is the founder of Outshining Ed, an eating disorder recovery business. She has an MBA from Harvard Business School, is a TEDx and National Eating Disorder Association speaker, and had the privilege of sharing her story at Gateway Church in Austin in 2022, all of which we will connect the links in the show notes. So be sure to go check those all out. She is an amazing speaker. She's also been featured on the Today Show website and Harvard Business School podcast. Prior to coaching, Lindsay spent years working in finance and as CEO of a Gary Vaynerchuk company in Manhattan. Her mission at Outshining Ed is to empower as many people as possible to make peace with their bodies, with food and movement. She lives in Austin, Texas with her husband and three children. I hope you enjoy today's episode as much as I had fun chatting with her. Love you guys. Hi. Hi. We are without our sweet Megan today. She is vacationing on spring break with her family. So we are doing this just with KK and I, but we have such a special guest, Lindsay Ranga. She has been with us before. And as you heard in our bio, she is doing incredible and impactful things in this world. And I personally, we, all three of us get to call her a personal best friend. Lindsay and I have known each other since we were two. Welcome, Lindsay. It's so cool. I love that. I love the personal just relationship that we've known each other that long. I know it really is crazy. And we certainly, um, you know, we went through periods in our adult life where we were just at different colleges and living in different countries and states. And I absolutely love that we talk every day now on Marco Polo. Thank you, Marco Polo (laughs) and COVID. Not sponsored, but maybe they could sponsor. Yeah, right. (laughs) Exactly. Shout out. Um, But Lindsay, why don't you just, for those listeners that didn't get to listen to your first episode, and if you haven't listened, I highly suggest going back to listen to that episode, and we will put her old episode in the notes so that you have a quick reference. But on that episode, we focused more on body image in general, and today we are going to kind of take the focus more on parenting around healthy relationships with food and body. So I am very excited about this conversation, but please just tell our audience that don't know kind of a brief background on yourself and how you landed where you are today. Yeah, the quick the quick background is by professional training, I studied finance and analytics and data 
and found myself in the throes of an eating disorder while attending Harvard Business School. And really, from the outside looking in, I was quite successful in the career world. And eating disorder felt like it came out of nowhere. I battled it for seven years. I ultimately recovered. And obviously, I'm missing a whole big chunk of the story in that seven years and the work that comes with it. Mm -hmm. Um, And then after I was recovered for some time, I was really reflecting on what I wanted to do with the rest of my life and how I could really contribute in a meaningful way and landed on creating Outshining Ed, which is the name of the business. And it is an eating disorder coaching company. And it started off as just me coaching clients one-on-one. I created a rather structured program based on studying and interviewing over 100 people who found freedom from their eating disorders. And again, I love the data and the patterns and the numbers, but that data led to some pretty obvious commonalities that people went through on their way to making peace with food. And so I mapped those out, and those really serve as the pillars in this structured program I created. And then as the company grew, um, I sadly had to tell people I was on a wait list. And there's nothing harder than being on the receiving end of that when you really want help from somebody. Mm -hmm. So I started thinking about how we could really impact more people who were battling eating disorders and began hiring and training new coaches. So really excited. I can't remember exactly when we last did the podcast, but I now have seven coaches on the team. and. In the last year or so, there's been more of a focus on parents of children with eating disorders. And I'd say at least a couple thousand parents on my email list. And almost daily, I'm getting an email from a parent saying, hey, I have a child age 12, age 15, age 22, age 30. Mm -hmm. How can I help them? What can I do? And so I'm really excited for today's conversation, both around, you know, cultivating or at least fostering a good, healthy relationship with food for your child. Because I think there's so much influence that parents have around that. Mm -hmm. And then I think this will also help parents, even if they are, you know, in the throes of an eating disorder with their child, knowing sort of the do's and the don'ts and what's going to be helpful to lead their child to a healthy relationship with food. Yeah. That's so amazing. Isn't I, the listeners I know are already like, Oh, I love you. (laughs) But, um, so before we kind of dive into the do's and don'ts and get into the parenting, I do kind of, cause I know with your own, I don't know if you call it a journey, but just your own experience in the eating disorder, not all recoveries were created equal or worked. And so I'm just trying to think from the perspective of somebody listening that, might be a potential good fit for Outshining Ed. What kind of stands you apart from, I guess, all of it? Kind of give us a rundown of like, because I know there's in, in-person in treatment where you actually stay the night. And can you just give us a little bit more of like the difference between each type of treatment and what Outshining Ed who yeah. who exactly it's for? Yeah, you bring up a good a good question because there are so many different levels of treatment, mm-hmm. and maybe I'll characterize it too. And like you know, parent finds out their child has an eating disorder, or you're not a child, you're just finding out you have an eating disorder for the first time. Usually, the first go to step is therapy, and as we know, not all therapy is the same. So it's really important to find a therapist whose specialty is in eating disorders. Next step is typically a dietitian, a registered dietitian with a specialty in eating disorders. And really, this is for anybody who doesn't have their desired relationship with food, even if you just want to improve your relationship with food. We tend to think of dietitians as just prescribing meal plans, like they put you on some specific structured eating plan. And there's really been a cool evolution in that where most registered dietitians now are supporting you in eating intuitively. So it's like finding ways that work for you, knowing that everybody's going to have a different way of eating and registered dietitians, like that's really the end goal is to get you to eat in a way that's effortless and easy. Um, 
And then the higher levels of care would be, you know, intensive outpatient, inpatient, residential, like you said, Lauren, there's maybe a hospital stay included. This is really important if your life is on the line. Mm -hmm. Vitals have shifted, um, low potassium, heart rate is really low, you know, BMI, we don't love that measure in the eating disorder community, but it can be really indicative if your weight is too low. And I also want to kind of highlight that a higher level of care is not for those who are battling anorexia or or are underweight. It absolutely can be for people who are at a what we call acceptable or normalized weight, but they're really struggling with eating disorder behaviors from binging mm-hmm. to bulimia. It, this also includes people in larger bodies who are battling with binging. People in larger bodies also battle anorexia, and it can be really hard for them to get help in the medical community because we typically think of anorexia um, only affecting those who are in smaller bodies. And so we've learned so much about eating disorders, but that's sort of the, the spectrum of treatment. And then we're coaching really fits in. I think the sweet spot with coaching is when somebody is in their home environment and trying to either take the tools they learned from a higher level of care and apply them at home or take the tools that they're learning in therapy and with their dietitian and use them day to day. So what's really unique about coaching, I'd say are two things. One is all of our coaches have had lived experience and they found freedom from the eating disorder. That's somewhat unique in the eating disorder world. And so when you're paired with a coach and you share that you stayed up binging and you feel like, you know, crumb physically and emotionally, your coach is going to say, oh yeah, I know exactly Mm -hmm. what that's like. I'm so sorry. And they're going to be able to offer you compassion when that self-compassion doesn't feel accessible. Um, So that's number one is our coaches have all had lived experience. The second really important piece, and I think the most valuable part, certainly of the Outshining Ed program, is that we offer 24-7 accountability and support. Um, recovery doesn't happen in a one hour phone call. And this is true. I mean, you can think about it in terms of grief. You can think about it in terms of healing from something else. It's like you go to a doctor's appointment once a week, or you go to therapy once a week. That's great. But what about the rest of the week? You know, when you're not at that therapy appointment. And so what's so powerful is to be able to text in the moments when you really need it most and to receive that in the moment coaching, support, answers, insight, maybe even homework. So I would say coaching really is um, in addition to the current treatment team, but offers a much needed gap or meets a needed gap in treatment with um, helping clients with the day-to-day and executing on what they learn in, you know, therapy. Yeah, that is so awesome. Am I correct in thinking that all of your coaches also went through your program before they became a coach? Is that right? Many of them did. The majority have been through the program. And that's so cool to be able to say that like when I'm having these discovery calls um, and most of the time, I'd say 80, 90% of the time, the person on the other end of the phone questions whether full recovery is possible for them. Like they've sort of resigned themselves to the fact that I may just have to manage this the rest of my life. And all of us, including me, went through that same pattern of thinking where you start to build this belief that protects you for when recovery doesn't work for you that says, eh, maybe it's not going to work. So it's really cool to be able to say, hey, I have other coaches that also were on the other end of the phone that believe the exact same thing. Yeah. That's so powerful. I think Mm. that's amazing. Okay. So let's dive into the parenting side of things. And I guess let's just start with the kind of general do's and don'ts um, as parents that you've not only lived through yourself, but uh, are able to offer to current clients where you are working with the parents? Yeah. So I'll start sharing some. And if you have like thoughts, just just interrupt me because I could probably just, you know, (laughs) list off 10 without stopping. And I think this is relevant for just parents of kids at any age. Yeah. Um, And then it's also relevant for parents whose kids are, you do see unhealthy, you know, patterns with regards to eating or body image. And so 
Um, I think it's helpful really for any parent as they consider raising their kid and what, what they want to give them, you know, in terms of their relationship with food. So absolutely, yeah. first off, and this is counter to what your doctor might tell you. And so obviously you always want to consult with your doctor, but the medical community, the, actually the pediatric, um, Academy, I can't remember what it's called, but they just came out with new guidelines around obesity in kids. And this was okay. devastating to the eating disorder community. Mm-hmm. So most doctors will tell you to put your kid on a diet if they are, you know, of a BMI outside the range or qualify as obese. And I'm going to tell you the opposite, which is don't put your kid on a diet. Um, it's usually not about the food. Like there's usually something underlying that's leading the child to turn to the food, to hide the food, to overeat the food. And a diet brings about shame and restrictions, and those restrictions can often exacerbate the symptoms they're experiencing. So I'll just pause to see if y'all have thoughts or questions before I move on. That's good. I'm just, of course, compare or thinking about my own situation, you know, with my own child and... I can see how that could have potential damage. And in fact, at his last annual checkup, there was a comment made by the doctor in front of my son and it was done in a pretty tactful way. However, my son has talked about it since then. So it did impact him and I don't think for the positive. So keep going. (laughs) Okay. Yeah. And so I think the natural question is then like what do you do then? Because we obviously don't want kids to be eating in a way that like they're hiding their secrecy or in a way that makes them feel physically bad or just physically isn't great for their body, right? They lack energy and aren't sleeping well. So I would say like, again, and, and I'm so glad we had the conversation right before this, but first line of offense here is therapy. Like get your child in to see a therapist to start working mm-hmm. with them. Like you are not the expert in food or a diet for your child. So start with the therapist, move to the mm-hmm. dietitian, but they're going to know how to bring it up to your child in a way that doesn't feel like pressure or that they should be ashamed or they're doing something bad or wrong. Mm-hmm. The second tip I have is don't parent in the extremes when it comes to food, meaning mm-hmm. boundaries are okay right? So this isn't a free-for-all. We have no rules around food. Our kid can eat whenever they want and whatever they want. And then on the other end of it is I control exactly what you eat, exactly what time and how much you eat, right? Mm -hmm. And we have no quote-unquote fun foods in the house. It's all healthy foods. And so I'd say those are two big extremes on the spectrum. And many of the clients that come to us, I find that either one of those two extremes was present when they were a child, meaning they had access to all foods all the time, or there were just too many restrictions. Okay. So I'm going to put you on the spot, but if we can just do a little role play, because, you know, I feel like my son's at the age now where they're kind of teaching health, then he's coming, he has come home recently saying, talking about calories and understanding what that is. And so how do we teach our kids about nutrition and health? What words should we avoid? And like, how can we best support them, but at the same time, not put so much focus where it's like, where they become obsessive over it, you know? So if my son comes home and says, oh, did you know that, you know, whatever it is, brownies are bad for you? Like, what is that conversation? What would be the most helpful way to respond to stuff like yeah. that? You know? Yeah. That's a great question because I think I love that you're using the word bad because I think that's how in general foods are categorized, which is good versus bad, healthy versus unhealthy. Yes. And we try to use different definitions in our house, which are, you know, like, 80, I don't use these percentages with my kids, but 80, 90% of the time, I want them eating foods foods that are good for them, that are nutrient Mm -hmm. dense, that make their bodies feel good, that give them energy. Mm -hmm. And then 10, 20% of the time, we have to eat the foods that bring us joy, that enhance shared experiences, that enhance like, you know, life is meant to be enjoyed, that enhance our quality of life. Mm -hmm. Um, And so both categories of foods are important. And so I might respond back with, 
tell me more about why they're bad. And is there a scenario where eating brownies could actually be good? You know, like, is there a scenario where that could be a fun thing to have? Certainly, if you eat too many brownies, like that can make you feel pretty icky. But I wouldn't say brownies in and of itself are bad. Like, there's no moral compass around food, right? Like brownies have not done anything wrong to get the, the, you know, label of bad. But I will say with our elementary school, at some point during the year, my kids will come home and say, hey, we got this homework assignment in PE. And for two weeks, we have to cut out all sugary drinks and we have to cut out all, it's like essentially a diet, right? For Mm -hmm. two weeks. And I'll talk about it with my kids. And so I love these opportunities of Kai coming home and saying like, hey, I love, I've learned what calories are because it's an opportunity for you to have a discussion in your home. And also address the fact that like, not everything they hear from an adult, whether in school, church, like a friend's parent is right, right? It's not like the Bible or the truth. And so it's kind of like getting clear on what you and your family believe. And it's an opportunity to talk about it. So in the scenario where my kids are like, cut out sugary drinks for two weeks, our oldest now is so trained that she's like, mom, we don't drink soda. Like my kids don't like it. She goes, but if I did, you would still let me have it. Right. And I'm like, yeah, of course. Like not every day. That's probably not something that's going to make our bodies feel good, but every once in a while, of course. And so it's like, she knows in her mind that the things she's learning at school, it's okay to question those sometimes. Yeah. Okay. That's so good. What, what else? What other don'ts or do's? So other don'ts and we'll kind of take this both from like what not to do with kids, but also not what not to do with yourself. So no commenting on your kiddo's body or Mm. physical appearance. And I, I mean, I use physical appearance like rather loosely, like, you know, I'll tell my daughters like, Oh, your hair is so awesome. Like I love your hair or, Oh, you look so cute today. I love your outfit. But I'm not like, oh my gosh, like your thighs are so slender (laughs) or you've got like a really great waist. Yeah. Uh, And so the reason for that is we don't ever want our kids to try to make us proud of them by changing their body or thinking that we get joy out of the way their body is sized, especially if we're commenting on like, oh, it's so cute. It's smaller, right? Stay small. Yeah. That's what I was thinking. Like if you notice a difference and I'm like, oh, you're, you're looking really good or, or even if it's like about their hair, right? It's like, oh, I really, I don't know. I I, I guess it's just like a fine line of knowing, yeah, you know, how to physically like where the line is of being okay versus not. <laughs> yeah, you're right. Like it could be clothes. It could be hair depending on like, I guess how often and possibly yeah. could cause a complex, but this is also important to role model for kids, which is not commenting on your own body, good or bad. And so, yeah, just being really aware. And I think because especially as kids of like the eighties and nineties, we were just so immersed in yes. diet culture. And like, I remember <sighs> drinking slim fast yes. and I'm trying to think like even diet pills at GNC, like had a whole shelf that were like diet pills. And it was just commonly accepted for like a 15 year old to go buy these things. Yeah. Well, and I was thinking too, I remember it being in college and I would think about my day as far as activity goes or what I was doing. Let's say that I was going to a party that night and knew that I was going to be having some drinks. I would alter my food intake and my exercise based on what my day looked like. And so I don't know to me now that I'm older, does that scream probably not healthy? (laughs) Yeah. That's so interesting. I don't think you've ever shared that. So yeah, I think anytime like we're compensating or there's compensatory behavior around, Mm -hmm. Oh, I ate this tonight. So tomorrow I should have this. Now Mm -hmm. what's interesting about that is you, if you actually have this intuitive relationship with your body, the body sort of does that naturally, right? Mm -hmm. So you can think about it in terms of not a great example if kids are listening to this, but parents will certainly relate. If you've like had too much to drink the night before, the body the next morning is like, oh my gosh, I don't want alcohol ever again. Yeah. Right. And it's not something that you like mentally say, okay, I'm going to compensate and not have it today. 
the body just sort of naturally does that. So when we're doing that with food and we're eating intuitively, there are going to be nights it's very human to overeat or, you know, to like go enjoy yourself and indulge and have a great night at a restaurant. Usually what I find is that when you're in this intuitive place with your body, the body's going to naturally be like, okay, today this sounds good to me and this sounds good to me. And maybe it's not the next day, maybe it's four days later, but if there is an intentional pursuit around exercising more or eating less because of what happened yesterday, that would be a yellow flag, right? It's not necessarily indicative like this person has an eating disorder, but it's a yellow flag of some disordered behaviors going on. Okay, cool. Yeah, that's so good. I know with Kai recently, just with him entering middle school and just coming of that age where girls are making comments about their own appearances and each other's appearances and they care about what other people think. And I've just noticed a level of awareness and self-consciousness, you know, around stuff like that, including his body, you know, and and Mm -hmm. he's a boy. And so I imagine... Well, I don't know, maybe you know stats, but boy versus girl, but it's not, we're not, it's not just girls and is what I've learned just through my yeah. son, you know, but, um, I, I guess it's just so hard to, it just feels so sensitive because, so f- you know this cause we talk, but I've been on kind of a weight loss journey. And so you mentioned for the, as a mom and dad to not make comment, negative comments about our bodies or whatnot. And so I am very aware. However, since I am in this journey of getting myself back to what I consider my healthy self, um, sometimes, so I have talked about that. I mean, Kai has been around Mm -hmm. when he hears me and I try not to put myself down but I am talking about making decisions, you know, they'll be eating something and they're like, Hey mom, try it. And I'm like, no, I'm good. You know? And I have caught myself maybe saying things like I've already eaten to my, you know, I'm already full. So yes. I don't want to over stuff that. So are comments like that. Okay. Where it's kind of like, you're not talking negative, but you're just explaining what you're doing for yourself. Because, and I try to throw in there, you know, that will make me feel kind of icky or sick. So I don't, I yes. don't want that. Yes. I think that's the right language. So not like, no, I'm not going to have it because I'm on a diet. No, mm-hmm. I'm not going to have it because I've had my allotted calories, which I know isn't the case. But just for other parents who maybe run into this, like Mirabai offered me a Cheeto the other night at the ball fields. And I was like, no, no, thanks. I'm good. And sometimes you just don't even have to explain. But if it is, I love your explanation of like, you know what? That doesn't agree with my body real well. Mm-hmm. Um, And then I also just wanted to comment on intentional weight loss versus like, I love the, I don't know if it was an intentional reframe, but you said, I'm just trying to get to the healthiest version of myself, like my healthy self. Mm -hmm. And I love that because usually there's something behind wanting to lose weight. So let me just ask you, and I'm sure I've asked you this before on Marco Polo, but (laughs) if you were to go a layer deeper, what is it for you? Yeah, for me, it truly is. I think years ago, I stopped caring about the number on the scale. There was, I would say, definitely high school, college years, I focused on that. But I kind of let that go years ago. Um, But for me, it really was or and still is just feeling my best and, you know, doing all the things I you know this, but I put on, I put on a lot of weight over the past couple of years. And after mom's death, I feel like it just kind of went nuts without me even knowing until I woke mm-hmm. up one day and saw a picture of myself and was like, that's not me. <laughs> um, <laughs> and so, but it, I noticed in my daily life, just little things where, and I just did not feel good and I wasn't taking care of myself. And when I eat, like you said, foods that nourish our bodies, I just feel good. So for me, it really is just about feeling good, doing all the activities that I want to do, um, doing the exercises that I want to do. And I think as we're in our forties and I think as we get older, it's just even more awareness of, I want to live a long life and I want to be, I want to be healthy. I don't want to, you know, I want to take the least amount of medications and least amount of 
seeing doctors that I can, you know? Yeah. I love that so much. It feels like for you, it's about living a long life, having energy to do the activities you want to do, not consuming your life with the doctor's appointments and medications. Um, So really being like the healthiest version, but it also sounds like there's a healing component too, that over the past couple of years, it sounds like this is part of it for you. Absolutely. And you know this, but, and I don't know the science behind it. You can probably speak more to it, but there was last a year ago, actually right now, cause it was spring break last year. I, I finally in my grief after losing mom and I had had a miscarriage before mom died and there was other things before mom died. That was just kind of, you know, we moved cross country and, um, there was just a lot of hard and, I think my body was in a state of a constant state of stress. And I think we all know that stress, actually, I don't know, but I think I learned just how much stress can affect other things in us. I reached a point a year ago where I was just ready to heal, not just my physical body, but emotional too, like what you're saying. And there was like a pinpoint moment where it was kind of like a spiritual experience, but something was lifted from me where I finally felt ready to start moving forward. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And I remember like, yeah, cause I think there was this distinct mm-hmm. period of time, even if it wasn't like a day where it felt like you were ready to make some changes in your life. And it wasn't as if you were forcing yourself ever to be like, these are the changes and I have to make them and I have to stick to them. Like it really, it feels like you approached it in a really balanced way, which is this isn't a short-term diet I'm going on. Like this is a a healing journey and it takes what it takes, but like you're doing it for a lot of the reasons that you shared. Yes. And I mean, I will share, I have, we've never talked about this on the pod, but so I really started focusing on my health, I would say beginning of June last year. And so here we are, what, mid March. And so it has been slow and steady. We'll say that I think the changes that I've implemented, I've really kind of slowly gotten myself back to how I always kind of took care of myself. And I just Mm -hmm. lost myself there for a couple of years. Um, and so I feel like it's going to last, you know, like it's, it really is lifestyle changes and it has definitely not been a sprint. It's been a marathon and I still have, you know, I'm still not quite there, but oh my gosh, just the difference. But just to give people a timeframe, like from June to now, I mean, we're coming up on a year and I'm not saying that has to be, you know, the time that for everybody, but just sharing that to say that it has been a slow and steady process. Yeah. And I think using words like that. So going back to Kai even like using words like, oh, I'm feeling so much better, you know, because you are feeling better. And I hear also just like the way you talk about doing the activities you do like tennis or the different workouts, like there's a level of joy. And you even said yesterday, you were like, if this stops being joyful ever, I'm not going to do it. And so I just think that's such a beautiful example for your family and your friends. But I think Yeah. When we're on a journey to be the best version of ourselves, it can include changing the foods we eat and changing the way we move, especially like in our 40s versus our 20s, the foods we were able to eat in our 20s and it not make us feel any different than before we ate the food. Now in our 40s, like I'm really sensitive to certain foods. And it doesn't mean I'm on a diet or restriction. It just means like I want to feel the best possible way that I can and if there are things I can do to maximize that, I'm going to, I'm going to choose that. And it's okay to communicate that to my kids. It doesn't mean I'm telling them they have to choose what I'm choosing. It just means like, this is why mommy's choosing to eat this. Yeah. That's so good. So, and then okay, oh, I, well, I wanted to comment on the body image stuff because 100% it affects boys and girls. And especially at you know, that middle school age, I think it's probably like bodies are just changing more than they usually do. And so I just wanted to give parents maybe some tools around that, because I think a lot of what we've heard as kids and then taken in um, or adopted as parents, I don't think we've got it quite right. And so 
the typical or like most extreme example of this is your kid comes home from school one day and says, mom, I'm fat. Or like, mom, like my thighs are huge. What we don't want to say is you're not fat. Your thighs aren't huge because that's implying that fat is bad or having big thighs is bad. And I think it's like wow. human nature too to want to be like, no, you're not. Like, cause I think we want to make them feel better, but that's like an in the moment. Maybe it makes them feel better, but long term, we're really not doing them a service. And so I'll give a personal example here, but there was a time and it hasn't happened recently, like maybe a couple of years ago where Mirabai would say, my face is round. My face is really round. Why can't it be like the rest of the families, like more narrow or pear? She didn't say pear shape, but whatever. Mm -hmm. She's like, it's just so round compared to my friends. And I don't tell her she's wrong. I don't say like, no, it's not round. You know, it's like saying the sky is blue. That's a natural response. Yeah. Yeah. I think not just with this, but also with emotions, I find myself a lot of times like my go-to response is, no, you're not, you know, whatever, you know, but anyway, keep going. Well, actually that's a great analogy for this. Like emotions is the perfect analogy because what we want to do with emotions is not tell them like, no, you're wrong. We actually want to listen and validate how hard it must be. Like mm-hmm. we just want to validate their experience. And so if, by the way, like if she's just stating a fact, my face is round, don't you dare project like that that is a bad thing because maybe right. she's not viewing it as a bad thing. But if she says, why can't it be like everybody else's, then I'm saying, oh, yeah, that must feel really hard. It sounds like you're comparing a lot to other shapes or other faces. What I come to, or like what I've done as a parent, and I'm not saying this is right or wrong, but I always just come back to God made you his masterpiece. Mm -hmm. And that's, I think it's Ephesians 2.10 that says that, but like God made you in his image and you are perfectly made in his eyes. And he made your face the way it is for a reason. And your body is the way it is right now for a reason. And your body's probably not even going to stay like this. It's going to change again. Mm -hmm. And like, you know, it's good to get used to our bodies changing because it's just going to happen throughout our whole lives. And it's okay for your body to be changing at a different pace or in a different way than the people around you. That's okay. Mm, Yeah. Gosh, that's so hard, especially the age that we're talking about. Just to, this is so good though, because it's, just giving tools on how to respond because I think it's just human nature for that age to compare and not want to be so different and stick out, you know? Yeah. And then I I think too, like, I think we could all use this reminder that like, it's just a body. It is just a body and it's a vessel for like our soul and the Holy spirit and our character. And I found this verse recently in this body image anxiety workshop I did. Um, it's First Samuel sixteen seven, and it says, "For the Lord sees not as man sees; man looks on outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart." Mm. And I think a lot of times, like, yeah, man or woman, like we do look on outward appearance, but what we should really be seeking is the heart and just reminding our kids that like, that's what it's about. Oh my gosh, Lindsay. So you just, we're studying the book of Ruth. I think we've mentioned that listeners, but so in this week's lesson, it's when Bo, uh, Naomi sends Ruth to go lay down at near Boaz. And when Boaz sees her, uh, he comments on her Uh, noble character. And the author points out that notice that Boaz, he pointed out Ruth's heart. He didn't point out anything about her appearance. And she, she gave the example, she was leading a Bible study one time and the, in the group was like, so since you know the Bible so well, like, do you think Ruth was hot? (laughs) And uh, she was like, well, I don't know. And, um, but the whole point of it was, but let's, but, but what we do know is that he commented on her noble character. And so I, I feel like that's like the perfect example of what you're, you just shared. So I love, I love that. Um, I, that's so funny. Cause I haven't, I'm so behind in this study, but that's, okay. yeah, that's so timely to hear that because we know Boaz to be like, I don't know, just shows Ruth 
so much favor and like where other yes. people would reject her. And so I just think that, I don't know, speaks to his character, but that's really cool. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. But in, in, and he is like that because it's really God's character, you know? And so to your yes. point, God doesn't care. Like it's just our soul and not our bodies. And I think we even touched on this the last time we recorded, which was like beginning 2020, but we all are going to die. Like I know that's a newsflash, mm-hmm. but we all die and our bodies don't go with us. And no one is going to sit there at our funerals and talk about the size of our bodies or, you know, our, our outward beauty, but for sure, they're going to talk about who we were, you know? 100%. And I think, I don't know where this comes from, but it's like, if it's not something I'm going to be worrying about 50 years from now or 20 years from now, like, why do I need to be worrying about it now? And like, Uh, I think back to your point, what we will be thinking about is health and doctor's appointments. Yes. (laughs) And we'll be thinking about all those things, but I really don't think- Testosterone and thyroid. (laughs) (laughs) But we're probably not going to be like, oh my gosh, my abs. You know, like, oh, my stomach or like this little extra layer right here. I just, (laughs) I don't think, yeah, to your point, certainly other people don't think that about us, right? Like they really do see our character. And I think also like we, I think we maybe emailed about this, but thin doesn't equal health. And I think, and it also doesn't equal happiness. And I think people get confused on this and think like, oh, if I could just lose weight, then I'll absolutely be healthy, or then I'll absolutely be happy. And I think like, sure, there are things along the way, like back to your journey, Lauren, where you're starting to, you know, like do activities that really bring you joy and Mm -hmm. yeah, like care for yourself in a way that maybe you weren't caring for yourself or couldn't care for yourself, I should say in the past couple of years. And that feels really healing and good and nourishing. Mm -hmm. Those things bring about health and happiness, but not just like, oh, I reached the number on the scale and now I'm, now I'm thin and happy. Now I'm healthy. Right. It's like, it doesn't work that way. No, it's definitely not going to bring happiness. It's not going to land you that job. It's not, you know, and you kind of bring up just the diet culture. And I know that you taught us that it's a $65 billion industry and it's counting on us men and women to be insecure and continuously trying to lose weight and compare ourselves to everybody else and showing us what we should look like. And, um, so no wonder, you know, and it's everywhere. It's everywhere. I was on hold yesterday for, I was on hold yesterday for an appointment and it was like a doctor's office and it's playing that elevator music. And then all of a sudden it's like, need to lose weight, try our one month program. You know, it's like, it's just nonstop. And I think we think we tune it out because, mm-hmm. oh, we're not maybe on a diet or we're not doing that. But it's like, it's actually really hard for it not to penetrate our belief systems. Mm-hmm. Um, and so there is, I think there, I do want to say there is privilege, I think, in being thin. You were like, oh, you're not going to get the job just because you're thin. But I do think there are still a lot of biases around that mm-hmm. where I do think it makes life easier. It makes life easier for sure. And I don't want to discount that, but it's you certainly- know what I will share personally just yeah. with this weight gain has been now that you're saying that I'm like, you know what? You are right. Um, but even just on the daily, like this is, I think it was, it's been a really humbling experience, but I will say that after gaining the weight that I did, like people comment more when I'm, th- you know, when I'm, th- I've, of course. I've, yeah, I've experienced be- getting told that I look pretty more when I'm at my healthier weight than when I wasn't for sure. <laughs> yeah. So well, it's and- just a natural thing, I think, to your point. Yeah, because we've all been wired to think that way. And mm-hmm. people do compliment and praise weight loss. But I think there can be unhealthy weight loss, of course, and people can lose weight for, I mean, somebody can have cancer and be losing weight. Somebody can have like some sort of illness and be losing weight. And then certainly like based on what we're talking about, someone can have an eating disorder and be losing weight. And so those comments around weight can actually be more harmful than helpful. Like, I feel like someone like you and just like your strength of personality and whatnot, I don't think it 
Like it doesn't swing you one way or the other. I think you don't put too much credit in somebody's comment. Does that sound right? No, for sure. Yeah. But there are people who are insecure about their weight Mm -hmm. or insecure about how they look. And those comments can fuel more dieting, Mm -hmm. more disordered eating. And so this has just been something I think I'm still trying to rewire my own brain around this, but not commenting on people's weight loss. And and like, hey, you're doing a really good job taking care of yourself. That's awesome. That's like a great thing to say, especially if you know that's true. But there were many times in my eating disorder journey where my dad would say, oh, you look really good. Like, or you look, Mm. you're looking healthy. And even that, like, it sounds pretty benign, but when you're in the throes of an eating disorder and someone says you look healthy, that can be interpreted so many different ways. And so instead, like, just find another, find another, you know, compliment. Yeah. So give another example of a compliment that would be received well with somebody who's kind of in the thick of recovery. So they're, yeah, they're going through an eating disorder in recovery and you're Mm -hmm. trying to compliment like their recovery or their work in it. Yes. Yeah. So I think praising effort is always like, even with my kids and softball and baseball, I'm always like, I saw like how hard you tried at this, or I like really appreciated this. I rarely talk about like the winning or the losing or the destination. Like, oh, we got, you know, here was the score. So well, even I think, too, you just shared, yeah. cause I know you just shared with Raya, her daughter is just starting out in softball and she's doing amazing, but I loved how you pointed out, or she said, mom, are you so proud that I was it hitting the ball? And you're like, mm-hmm. yeah, I am. But you know what I'm most proud of is you did what you just said and you complimented her effort to be brave enough to come back after she was scared or whatever it was. But yeah, that was I mean, a great this example. I don't know about you, but like when I was growing up, my dad used to pay us when we got A's. And I think that was quite common, like good grades. We got more money. Did mm-hmm. that ever happen in your family or no? Yeah. I mean, there was definitely high expectations for making straight A's and it, they didn't necessarily reward us for it, but they, I don't know. There was a, there was an expectation that that's just what was expected (laughs) and they held us accountable, I think by, well, I just had a personality where I didn't want to disappoint, you know? Yes. Yeah. That's interesting. So yeah, ours was associated with obviously the reward of money, but what, what I was receiving and didn't know it as a kid, but I'm like, Oh, to gain favor in dad's eyes or like, dad's really proud of me when I perform and get good A's or like when I win the game or when I do something stellar, then I earn favor in my dad's eyes or whoever. Um, so I think it's so important to praise effort. Like if somebody got a B, but they were really like, they came from a C or a D and they worked really hard or they went to tutoring. Like to me, that's so much more, that's, that's just so much more beautiful than it's like, okay, I got all A's. It's like, what does that tell you? So I'm really cautious of like praising just like the end result, like you got the hit, but more the effort. So same thing if somebody's in recovery and by the way, like, cause I'm going to send this out to all the parents on my email list so they can listen to this. If your child is battling an eating disorder, one thing you can say is like, I see how hard you're trying. I know it must feel so hard to eat that snack, whatever it is. Mm. And I see how hard you're trying and I appreciate that. And I acknowledge how hard you're working at this. Not like you ate the snack, you didn't eat the snack. And so now we can like celebrate or not celebrate. It's like, you're working hard. This is hard stuff. It's a mental illness. You're showing up to appointments. You're doing the hard things. Wow. That's awesome. Well, Lindsay, I could sit here and chat with you forever. And listeners, I'm so sorry Kristen was having technical difficulties and we we lost her. And I'm sad because I think that she has um she would have been a great resource to too as far as questions. But one thing that we didn't get to touch on is there that you can just maybe give like the one thing that you want to say about it is and we kind of did touch on it, but anxiety and its role with eating. What would you want to share with parents or anybody listening that um, when it comes to anxiety and eating? Yeah, I think so. Anxiety is often at the center of eating disorders, and the eating disorder is a way to cope with that anxiety, whether it's overeating, restriction, overexercise. It does help alleviate the anxiety in the short term, but of course, exacerbates it long term. 
So I would say if your child is battling an eating disorder, or you notice unhealthy relationship with food, ask yourself if they're struggling with anxiety. And I think this is back to where therapy can be really helpful or having them work with a coach, of course, but really a great expert in disordered eating or eating disorders will address both the food and the anxiety. Because as I said earlier, it's not just about the food. There's usually stuff underlying it. And we almost always see anxiety as part of that. Okay. Well, unfortunately, we have to wrap it up. But Lindsay, thank you so much for your time, so much for your expertise. I feel like just because I know you and a little bit about your work, I know that there's so much more. But um, if you would tell our listeners where the best place is to get in touch with you or to follow your work. Yes. So the website is outshiningedcom and you can book a free call with me. If you do think that you have a disordered relationship with food, I'd love to chat and that's outshiningedcom slash book. And then I'm on social media, TikTok and Instagram at Ronga L-K, R-O-N-G-A-L-K. And if you're on TikTok, or even if you're not, because I'm not, and I can still see your videos, her TikTok videos are so good. There, I love how they're short and to the point, and you're just so cute. So, <laughs> love it, love uh, it. I, it felt like just a, a phone call. Like it felt like we were just calling each other to chat about. This I know stuff. <laughs> this is just like our daily chats that we have. We do get pretty uh, in depth with our we do conversations. I love it, um, but I do love how your TikToks they while they might be five seconds, you're just really thoughtful in how to put in the most impact. And I feel like even as somebody that doesn't have an eating disorder, I feel like you offer so much, uh, I guess, free resources and tools. And I just love your heart. And I know your heart behind all of this is you want to help as many people recover. And that's really what it is for you. And so I think that's what is most beautiful about it. Thanks, Lauren. Yeah. Okay. Well, thanks listeners for tuning in and we will um, see you guys in a couple of weeks and I'm going to pray us out. Sounds good. Heavenly father, we just come to you with such an open heart and we are full of thanks. And I just Thank you so much for Lindsay and the work that you have put on her heart to share with the world. And I thank you for her um, past hardships and everything that she has gone through and putting her on the path to use it for good and healing and just sharing her story and um, expertise with so many people. And I just pray that her work continues to flourish and I just pray abundance over all of it. And Jesus, I just pray that as parents, we use us to parent your children in the best way that only you know how for each one of our individual children. And I just pray that each one of our kids out there, born yet or not, that they find 100% of their confidence in you and you only. And um. I just pray that they can learn that at the youngest age possible because it's just such a wonderful life lesson, I think. And we love you so much. And I just pray that we go out and receive your blessings and lead us on all of our paths. We love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thanks, Lauren. Amen. Yeah. Thanks, Lindsay. Love you. Talk to you later. Okay. Love you. Bye. Bye. Thank you for listening to another week of Girl I Slept in My Makeup. If you like us, rate, review, and subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. And if you want to learn more about us or get in touch with us, go to our website, girlisleptinmymakeup.com, where you'll also find links to our Instagram and Facebook. Thank you so much for listening. We really appreciate it. And yeah, make it a great week. God bless.